Welcome everyone to another fantastic episode of RFRX. I am your host today, and my name is Eric Wells. I'm the support group director, and with me as with as my co-host is my fantastic friend Helen Green. She's an ambassador as well as the virtual support group leader. Welcome, Helen. I'm so glad you're here today. Hello, everyone. Happy Monday. We're gonna have a great talk tonight. It's gonna be awesome. Happy Monday, everybody. Let's get going. Without further ado, I am so excited to introduce you to Dr. McKeeve Vorstein. Uh, oh, I, I know I screwed that last name up. I'm so sorry. He's an assistant professor of psychology at Dalton State College and teaches um, courses including counseling skills on the psychology of religion. He's also a co-director for the Secular Therapy Project and owns a private practice in Chatsworth, Georgia. Dr. McKee, welcome. I'm so glad you're here this evening. Hey, thanks so much for having me. <laughs> now, this is the first time you've been on an RFRX, and it has been yeah. way, way overdue. And um, I am so glad that we get to kind of have this topic uh, and, and bring it to um, RFRX, because it's super important. Yeah. It's like one of the key things that I needed as I was transitioning out of religion. For sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah no, so, I, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, even as you were talking about some of the things in your introduction, I just sort of thought about, you know, the, all the, those new, the newness of, of leaving religion and, and how that feels and can feel so lonely. And so, yeah, we see that quite a bit. Yeah. Now, how long have you been um, a part of uh, the Secular Therapy Project? I don't know. <laughs> I'm the <laughs> It's, it's been a few years. It's been a few years now, uh, for sure. I, I, I haven't been keeping track of time, you know, I guess, I guess I don't, I don't hate it that much that I'm like counting the days know, or anything right? like that. I'm just, I'm just part of it. I'm here and I'm enjoying it. It's been a few years though. So um, let's kind of get into the the topic for today. Um, yeah. uh, finding a mental health therapist that's right for you. I know personally, mm. I was hoping that like the first person that I sat down with, the first person I called would be uh, the, the right one for me, but more often than not, that's, that's not the case. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and you know, the, the easy way, uh, you know, if, if that option is available to you is, is yeah, to find the, the therapist who, through secular therapy project, even then you might not find the, the right fit for you. Um, the first time, but but we've done a lot of the heavy lifting for you, you know, in that in that process. Um, but you know, it, we're some of us live in, in areas of the country, and and I'm in one of those areas of the country where sort of religious affiliation is assumed, and a lot of the therapists um, fall in that same boat where they oftentimes will assume um, that their clients are going to be religiously affiliated, and um, it can make it really hard to find find somebody. I had never considered that, um, that, you know, I, I would walk into a therapy uh, thinking that, uh, oh, this guy has a certain belief system or something like that. But I never thought about it from the other person's shoes, from the therapist's shoes, like them assuming that I might be religious walking into there. And, and they shouldn't. Practice. They shouldn't. That is part of the problem that we're, we're really trying to trying to address. Um, you know, and in, in, in my training, certainly that was something that was um, that was stressed pretty heavily that you know, you're, it's not about, you know, the therapist's values and we have to be aware of those so we can um, ensure that we're not, you know, imposing those types of things. 
Um, but it seems like in some parts of the country that training seems to fade really quickly. Um, and, and that shouldn't happen. You know, we have volunteers that I get to connect with that are all over the world, um, uh, Europe and Australia. And when when I kind of share about this phenomenon of uh, walking into a therapy uh, session and the uh, therapist kind of doing some religious thing for me, they, they, they are just shocked. It's like it's unheard of in some of those countries. It seems to be kind of a, a, a phenomenon here in the U.S., um, and is that kind of one of the main reasons why Secular Therapy Project was set up? I don't think it's just a U.S. problem. Um, I think there's, you know, there are religious, um, you know, concentrations in any any place that we look in the world. Even, you know, within within countries, there's there's big variation sometimes. Um, you know, within the United States, we have large variation, uh, pretty significant variation. You know, depending on on where you are. What state you are in, um, you know, if we're looking, you know, more like Northeast, um, you know, we have very low religious affiliation, and I think the religious assumption is is way lower. Um, my experience, or a lot of what my experience was informed by, is um, by first moving uh, to the United States uh, as a as a teenager from from Germany, and then moving from the northern state, Minnesota. Um, to to the south and and so I got to experience a lot of that difference so, so a lot of the different types of questions that that people ask and are assumed to okay to ask um, it, it was really surprising and so that's really what got me interested in in, in looking at this um, and then when I saw that also applied um, in the therapeutic environment which which I assumed and, and hoped and, and my experience was that that's the safe place. Um, but I heard so many clients that have had experiences um, where their therapists uh, and then not a Christian therapist or not like a counselor that they saw through their church um, is suggesting these these religious interventions that we obviously know don't really help. So yeah. So um, let's say I'm fresh off the turnip truck. I've fallen off and I realize I need some help. I need I need some uh, I need to find a professional. Um, and honestly, just getting to that point can be a huge step for some folks. Um, I know it was for me and, and the generation mm. that I grew up with. What um, what would be my first step? Um, I mean, I think those processes that that you talked about already. You know, the, we have such great resources out there through recovering from religion, um, you know, just to find a community. Um, but but finding that community is, is a great first step. Now, if you're seeking specifically mental health treatment, the Secular Therapy Project is such a great resource. Like I mentioned in the beginning, um, we've done a lot of the work for you. Um, you know, we have we have therapists that apply to, to there that sort of identify that maybe they don't have a God belief. Um, but they still have some supernatural beliefs and those, those get screened out. Um, or we have therapists that apply that um, may, not, may not have spiritual or religious beliefs, um, but, their, but their practice really isn't founded in any, any evidence-based treatments. Um, they're kind of winging it, so to speak. Um, 
so we we weed all those those people out for you essentially so if you can i think that is that is the easiest way to sort through a lot of the the therapists that are probably not going to be good for fit for you if you left religion and these are folks also that that have sought us, us out for some reason or another so they're interested in helping people who have um who are struggling with religion or who are leaving religion it's still um, similar to um, the mission of the support groups. It's not about deconverting anybody, um, but you have people that are familiar with that process and, and understand um, to some degree, at least um, religious trauma and those kinds of things. Do you, uh, it seems Do you like find... I'm sorry, Helen, go ahead. That's okay. Um, do you find that since the um, psychotherapy project started up, um, people are are finding a therapist that's more catered to them than kind of like, you know, what Eric was saying, like going through so many before you find mm -hmm. one that's like a good fit for you? Yeah, and, and we have we have variation. We have different concentrations of where where therapists are located. Um, you know, so there are parts of the country where, you know, it's much more spread out and you might have to, um, you know, do telehealth in order to connect with therapists that are a little bit more distant. Um, in other parts, you know, in sort of more of the metropolitan areas, um, you know, it's, we may have, we have several therapists that, that are registered through our, through our site. So um, I do think that it, it helps with, with that process where you don't have as many to go, go through to, to find the right fit for you. Absolutely. Now, even though, um, let's say, because uh, I know that when we go to the psychotherapy project, we have to create an account and we search by, um, for here in the US, search by zip code, find the one that's nearest to us or in our, in our state. Um, even, even with uh, that list of people, there still may be somebody when I first meet them, I don't connect with. What are, what are, during the, during the, the, the first kind of meeting, what sort of things should I be doing? Should I be letting them sort of uh, take the meeting where it needs to go? Or is there mm. another way to kind of do this? Um, the first couple of meetings, uh, and, and I think especially the first one, you are, you are getting, you're, you're feeling each other out, essentially, you know, you are getting to know your therapist. Um, sometimes, you know, if, if they work at an agency, there are certain things that they have to do. Um, so it can, it can feel, um, I think a little bit more formal and, um, you know, they have to do things like informed consents and they're getting background information. And sometimes there can be pressure, uh, on the therapist that they have to get sufficient information to get a diagnosis for like insurance reasons and those kind of things. And so those, those can be things that sometimes get in the way of you really getting a sense of like, who is this therapist? Um, I, as a client, I, I would definitely slow, slow folks down a little bit and kind of say, hey, you know, I've got some questions and I definitely have, I'll have some recommendations as far as like, hey, what kind of questions can we, can we get to? Um, you know, hey, let's talk about maybe the informed consent, but let, you know, in order to be informed, um, I have some questions for you. I have some questions for the therapist. Um, such as, hey, what is your approach? That is part of like my informed portion of to agree. The client has to agree to receive a treatment, just like if you um, get a surgery or something like that, they're going to say, hey, there's some risks involved um, with the treatment that you're about to receive. These are the risks. Do you still want to do this? 
Same thing counts for therapy. The therapist is going to tell you, hey, here's some risks involved. And just like I might have some questions from my my surgeon, um, hey, have you done this kind of thing before? <laughs> um, you know, if they're like, well, you know, the first time for everything, you know, uh, I, read, I read a book on it once. Uh, I probably are going to, I'm going to ask some other questions, right? I'm going to be like, is there somebody going to be there uh, that's going to like supervise this? Uh, and so those are the same kind of questions that you can ask your therapist, you know, um, have you worked with somebody that's non-religious before? Um, now, if they're like, you might, you can ask your therapist if they are religious. And, and that's something that we do do in the uh, secular therapy project. Therapists may be trained not to answer that. Um, because of um, because it it shouldn't impose um, on them. A lot of therapists may may an- choose to answer that question, but just because they say, you know, I usually don't talk about you know what what my religious beliefs are, that's not necessarily no go. But they may tell you that. Um, but you can ask that question certainly, and you can at least ask, you know, are you comfortable working with somebody that have you worked with others that are non-religious or who are, are leaving religion? struggling with religion um you know do you have um what's your approach with that yeah i like that um i really kind of like how you were just saying uh slow it down slow it down uh i feel like when i get into uh when i first meet a, a new therapist or something i want to okay i hurry up and fix me hurry up and fix me i got shit to do i got places I got, uh, I got, I got people to do and places to be. And, uh, so, uh, hurry up and let's just get this done. But, um, um, kind of giving, it sounds like you just basically gave me permission to just kind of like slow down and get this, get this right. If it doesn't feel right, then, uh, if you yeah, like, should I be relying kind of on my gut? If I have had a session and there's just something that doesn't quite feel right or, um, uh, or, or to like, how, how would I kind of evaluate, whether or not to keep uh, set another appointment with this person. Yeah, I, I think if you at least feel um, respected um, in in that process, um, you know, I, I think your your gut sort of, you know, and, and I think what we mean by that is like, what's my emotional reaction, you know, to how this went down, that can that can give us some really good information. And so to sort of check in with yourself afterwards and like, hey, what was it about that that, that I felt uncomfortable with? Um, it may be just that you are uncomfortable and because therapy can be sort of a scary thing to get, get started with. Um, so to check in with yourself, was it that or was it something else? Did I, did I not feel heard? Um, you know, did, did they dismiss some of the things that I said to them or um, maybe even blatantly ignored some of those things. And, and those are stories that I hear uh, from folks sometimes where, you know, they will, they will tell their therapist outright, like, hey, I don't want you to use any kind of religious intervention because I've had bad experience with that. And then sometimes even in that same session, um, the therapist will, you know, you know, drop a Bible quote or something like that, or, or suggest, you know, that they just haven't found the right church or something like that. Um, those, those would be, those would be the obvious flags where like, okay, you know, and I think, I think most of us would recognize that, Hey, that's not okay. And I, and I'm not going to go back there. Um, so I, I do think it's a good idea to sort of reflect what was it about that. And, um, sometimes you might be comfortable in addressing that with the therapist. And I think that can be very helpful. 
uh, and and it might get to the level where you're just like, hey, this is obviously not the place for me. Um, you know, I think for for a lot of folks, you know, just even going into the waiting room has been an experience. You know, if they see a lot of religious literature and those kind of things, they're like, okay, nope, not for me. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. All right. Are they, so um, kind of bouncing off of that a little bit, are they allowed to, like, it I guess it depends on the state, but um, I know that most therapists have to have like a state license and to practice and usually have to follow some sort of um, state approved curriculum to, you know, keep mm -hmm. their practice going. And they start using a lot of religious language, which isn't part of a lot like you know if you're going for like you know cognitive behavioral therapy for like ocd and they start using religious language that isn't part of that type of therapy is there an issue like ethically with that that can you know people should be aware of yeah absolutely we you know the different professions within within the mental health field you know have have similar codes of ethics um and um a lot of times those are tied to the law, but not every time. And and then one of the first part of your question, I think, was about, you know, aren't aren't people required to be licensed? And like, yes, um, but some states have some exceptions. Um, like in Georgia, for example, um, you you can't call yourself a counselor unless you've had specific training. Except for if you're offer, you're you're doing things within a religious-based doctrine, so you are legally allowed to call yourself just a counselor if you're practicing from like a biblical perspective or something like that. So oh, wow. just because somebody says that they're a counselor ah. um, doesn't necessarily mean that they're a counselor in Georgia. Other states, it is protected. The last state that I practiced in in Arkansas, it was something. Now, Arkansas, you probably think still, you know, hey, this is this is, uh, you know, pretty Bible centric and, and religious centric state. Um, but they did actually a pretty good job of protecting, um, you know, who can call themselves a mental health professional. Um, so I think it is important, like in Georgia, I would say, hey, make sure that they're they say that they're a licensed counselor and they can show you their license. We have to show that that we have a license, kind of like when you get your hair cut. You know, a lot of times if you got their license there, my license look just looks exactly like the, like the barber's license, right? That I have to play. Uh, you know, it says slightly different words on top of there, but the process is the same. You have to be able to see that, you know, I've, I've got training. Hey, you know, barbers have been equated to therapists, so. You know. Well, you know, yeah, that's a referral source right there. The school of psychology and the school of cosmetology are right next door to each other i would imagine <laughs> right. right um oh i had a really amazing question and it sort of slipped my mind um helen <laughs> you want to save me oh yeah um so like i'm kind of picking like what we were talking about before so like um if someone like you know, they see like counselor and you ask for their license and, you know, they're like, yes, you know, I'm board approved or whatever. And then they start using like religious language for, as part of their therapy. Like, do they, does um, a client have the right um, to like report it to a board and um, to have like the therapist reviewed? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, I figured as much, but I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> so. Yes. And, and, you know, I, I would, 
I would really, I would love if that would happen more often, um, honestly. And it, and it, you know, uh, made it sound like I'm shooting myself in the foot here, but you know, for for therapists that are practicing ethically, that really shouldn't be an issue. Um, you know, we have to we have to share with you, like, hey, who do you report this stuff to? So on on like my my practice website, I have a link to those places on where you can report me when I screw up. Um, this is, this is who you would, this is who you would tell. Um, and we can have some, some state and some national levels that you can do that. So you can report those, those, um, those infractions to the state board, um, who, um, will, can react to things, um, you know, and, and that does vary by state by state. You know, we've, um, some of you may have heard about like some of the exceptions that Tennessee had put into, um, their laws where they actually, Tennessee was one of the states that, that fully integrated the ethical code um, for counselors into their law and said, hey, this is, this is actually something that you have to do if you're a counselor, um, except for when it, when it in, interferes with state law and they made the state law that you are allowed to refuse um, to see clients based on these sincerely held, held beliefs. Um, and, and so we have a conflict with, with the code of ethics and the state law, it's a legal thing. So the state board in that case really can't, can't do anything about it. Um, so for, for clients um, that, were, that were seeking somebody in Tennessee, I always recommend to look for a nationally certified counselor uh, because at least there was, that while they couldn't lose their oh. license, they could lose their national certification. Um, so it's sort of a, just an extra level um, that there's an, another code that they have to adhere to in order to maintain that credential. I didn't, I didn't, I just now am uh, understanding that there's several different uh, credentialing that uh, a mental health professional can get um, mm. in, in the state or nationally. Um, mm. We actually have a question here that I think would be a perfect time to ask it. Uh, I'm trans and I can't find a therapist that will take me on. All the therapists tell me that it's unethical to help me not be trans. They all want me to affirm my identity, even though doing so has ruined my life. Um, how would um, a member of the LGBTQ community in, let's say, uh, a, a state or an area that's not friendly to um, uh, those people, uh, how would they find um safe therapists yeah um i think if you if you again the, the hard work um is is sort of done you know like through the secular therapy project and and generally i would say that um the, the therapists that we have are going to be um lgbt affirming um therapists if you check on their websites, um, I, I like to look for uh, therapists that have a statement that they are um, an affirming practice. Uh, so you can kind of see on the front end. Um, in some areas, therapists are, are hesitant to, to advertise these kinds of things. And that's another reason on why we have the Secular Therapy Project, because it's not, it's not just a resource for, um, for clients, uh, but also for, for therapists who kind of recognize that, hey, there's an issue out here they want to advertise they want to let let the the community know that this is a safe place for secular folks um, but in some areas of the country even advertising that um, openly can have detrimental effects on the therapist's practice so we do a little bit of this uh, also for the therapist to protect them um, 
So I, I'm also a big fan of just other communities. So if you're if you're in, you know, and, and Facebook and, and, and these local communities can be such great resources, um, asking other folks um, from within that community, hey, have you found somebody um, that that provides affirming oh. care um, is such a great resource. I'm on I'm on several local um, secular groups um, that have their own little resource list for therapists in the area that that have done a good job for them. I like that. I and, have not um, ever. Go ahead, Ellen. I'm sorry. Um, and just to be clear, like the S Secular Therapy Project isn't a hotline. It's a place to register to get therapy, correct? Correct. Yeah, it can, it can take a little yeah. bit of time. So there's a registration process um, for, for the clients. Um, and then it's a, it's a directory essentially. So you can find therapists based on like a radius um, or you can select therapists in the state that will do um, telehealth and those kind of things. Um, and then you can communicate with that, that uh, therapist through the platform. So you can send them a message and, and reach out, ask them questions um, you know, that, that we've already kind of talked about here. Um, and then they will get back to you and, and you, you, you are just connecting with them based on their, their practice. Um, we're, I think we've got several things sort of in, in the works um, to, to help sort through um, some of the questions even, even that were addressed in, in some of the chats. I, I saw one of them was, hey, do you have anybody that speaks ASL? Um, I think that that would be great things that we could have that as a searchable feature um, within within the secular therapy project um, or, you know, search specifically for medication prescribers and those kind of things. Um, so, you know, we're, we're con continuously trying to explore it. But, yeah, it, it's just the matching service, essentially. Um, insurance mm -hmm. is sort of another question that comes up a lot of times. Hey, will my therapist accept my insurance plan? Um, we don't have a really good way of searching for that. So that can be part of the process where you have to um, ask them, you know, hey, am, am I network with, with your insurance as well? Recovery it sounds like it's a lot like dating. Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah, Eric, go it's, ahead. It's a, it's a dating, swipe left, swipe right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that what the Secular Therapy Project app is going to look like? Yeah, <laughs> I, th I think so. Yeah, that... It's going to be just like Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like um uh, just like recovering from re uh, religion uh, as a whole the secular therapy project is sort of try is uh working to kind of um revamp what how they're presented to the the client and and the therapist uh therapists as well i know that rfr 3.0 is kind of coming up and the secular therapy project is sort of integrated into that as well um, mm -hmm. um so it sounds like uh even though there may not be uh, like a box to check, like, hey, I speak Spanish or I know ASL, that uh, eventually there will be down the line. Yes, um, yes. I was looking at, at uh, I guess, Daryl's comment that, that, we, that it was built on online dating sites model. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what... I see a lot of people kind of hanging the shingle out saying that they're a life coach. What would be mm. the difference between a counselor or a therapist or a life coach? Can I get sort of the same kind of um, results with a life coach as I would with a mental health professional? 
Yeah, I've, I've, I've been seeing more and more that question. And I think it's a really good question. Um, I've seen some therapists that are um, also, they get like a coaching certification um, and sort of they're using the, the coaching license and like sort of to, or their, their coaching status to provide services across state lines because it's something that's not regulated very well. And um, to me, that's, that's a very uh, sketchy, sketchy practice um, to do that. So just coaching is not something that is very well regulated. Um, and, you know, there, there may be some states I'm not familiar with um, that, that are trying to regulate that maybe a little bit more. Um, but I would be very, very careful with, with using that as a way to treat mental health um, problems. Yeah, it seems like a very new agey sort of like, you know, um, positive life affirming sort of thing, you know, like how to get your, you know, um, how, like, you know, you're standing your own way and that kind of those messaging and stuff like that, yeah. then actually do, getting work for people that actually have mental health issues and those need to be treated, you know, um, it, that's how I kind of feel about it. Like, I'm like, that's not yeah. therapy. <laughs> I, I think I think one of the differences that I that I tend to see is that um, there can be sort of this dependent relationship that that gets developed through that process, and that's not the goal of therapy. The goal of therapy is to empower the individual, um, and and with coaching, like I said, you know, it it, it can sometimes foster. Um, a dependence on the coach, um, you know, and, and I'm, I'm probably generalizing here, but um, yeah, I would, I wouldn't be comfortable in, in using that as a way to, to seek help. You know, you bring up a really good point way back in the day, I experienced something um, exactly like that with a coach. And then I didn't mm -hmm. have not experienced that with a therapist. Um, uh, it was, that was some dark times. And I'm really glad that you kind of made that distinction. I can't, hadn't recognized that until until mm. now <laughs> yeah. um let's uh kind of get at at the really core of this like why would i what would i get out of even attending or seeking out therapy what would what's in it for me i mean at at, at the base level you know therapy is for for treating uh mental health uh concerns but but counseling specifically, um, and, and that is my license as I'm a professional counselor, operates from a wellness model. So we really want to try to get, you know, help you and empower you to function at, at the best level that you can. Um, because a lot of times we still are working within a medical model, we have still have to do things like, you know, the diagnoses and all those kind of things that we're sort of bound by. And it sometimes helps us direct, you know, the treatment. Um, so one of the things, you know, in, in psychotherapy project and that we're, we were talking about today is this idea of evidence-based treatment. And so what that means is that we do have to sort of know like, hey, what are we treating in the first place? So we can identify what is the best way to, to treat this. So if we're talking about things, probably the most common things, um, you know, that, that I see are things like depression and anxiety and, and various forms of that. Also um, different levels of trauma and those kind of things. 
So we're trying to to lessen the impact of of those um, those states on your life. People come to to therapy because they don't like the way that they feel. You know, they don't like the way um, that that things feel around them. Um, they don't like the way that um, that you know their relationships fail or that they're struggling with. And so we're trying to help you identify how to remove those barriers, um, change your thinking to, to have you live a more successful life and, and, and live in a way that, that you can function at your, at your best. One of the things that really early on I felt is like the people who went to therapy, they had something wrong with them. Like not, mm. not like a, um, uh, struggling with money or, uh, my, my wife and I are, or my partner and I are getting along, but like, mm. like there was some sort of mental issue and that's why they went and saw a therapist. Mm. Um, I've, I feel personally like I've learned that isn't necessarily the case, but I maybe have some mental issues. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like I say, you know, that that wellness model, you know, is, is focused more on improving the way and, and maximizing the way that you are. So I think really the healthiest people are the ones that that can kind of recognize that, hey, you know, what, I'm I'm not functioning the way that I want to be. Um, you know, we, we have different markers, you know, I don't know, we probably have these different expectations about, you know, what my life is supposed to look like, you know. And sometimes I think on the surface, like, okay, no, I got a job, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a steady relationship, you know, all that stuff can look good on paper, but if you're still recognizing that, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm not where I want to be and I'm still uncomfortable um, with that, that kind of means that, you know, maybe I can function better. And, you know, the first steps usually are trying to identify that yourself. And for a lot of folks that works, you know, if you kind of spend that process, you're checking in with friends and, and, um, you have supportive friends um, and you can recognize and work through some of those things. But sometimes you run up against some barriers that, that, you know, Hey, I've tried all these things and it's still not getting better. And a therapist is going to be able to help with that. The way you're kind of talking about these sessions, it feels like it's not a, uh, like a, a lifelong type of commitment. Um, I, like when, when I think about people like, uh, uh, Woody Allen who or something who was like all talking that he's always been to a therapist for like yeah. you know uh, half a century or something like that that's kind right. of how I initially envisioned uh, getting a therapist would be like forever but the way you're kind of talking about it it doesn't have to be that way and most of the time yeah. it's not yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, we're still we're still fighting Freud at this point. Um, you know, that that psychodynamic model of, you know, that you've that you're in treatment three to four times a week, you know, for a couple of hours and laying on the couch. You know, we, we still see that a lot, you know, portrayed in in, you know, uh, movies and those kind of things, you know. <laughs> and and again, so when I was sort of talking about that coaching, um, you know, it's that dependent type of relationship sometimes that that is portrayed. And that's that's really not what we're looking for. Um, you know, and that's the benefit of, of seeking a therapist that's that's trained in some evidence based treatments, because they have a model that they're going to use to say, hey, this is what the person has going on. They're going to go through a specific treatment regimen. Um, and, and there's 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 an end goal in, in sight for this model. Now, sometimes you know, there's, there's additional things that, that kind of come up. Maybe we work through the depression, but maybe there's some relationship issues. Um, but each one of those things really deserves, um, you know, an evidence-based model 
to treat that along the along the way and absolutely you know for for most of the clients that that i see you know i see them between you know maybe 10 and 20 sessions um some less you know some you know after six sessions like hey we we kind of learned some new skills we can kind of work through it um and then and then you're done and i never see them again and that's mm. that's that's great news uh you know, sometimes they'll, they'll send me like, Hey, you know, two years later, I'm still doing great. And, you know, that's, that's nice to hear as a therapist. Um, but most of the time, you know, we just never hear from them again. And that, that, that feels good. You know, that's what it should look like. Um, so what would I expect to pay for a session? I know that it probably varies widely from, uh, area to area. Um, do you have like a, a kind of a range in mind? Um, yeah, that, that, that is a tough question. Uh, you know, for, if you have insurance, that is probably going to be, um, the biggest thing that's going to dictate, um, what you're going to pay. Now, a lot of therapists are, um, that you, that you may find do not accept insurance. So, so then you're looking at your auto network benefit and, you know, so yeah, the world of insurance is, is terribly complicated and, and probably deserves some revision. Um, but for for cash pay, you know, for a sort of sort of a self pay out of network, depending on where you are in the country, I'd say between on the low end, probably hundred dollars an hour to on the high end, you know, three, four hundred dollars an hour wow. uh, if they're really specialized in, in something. Um, yeah, it's it, it and it's it's really awful, even even within the same insurance companies, you know, it can have huge differences in. Um, and co-pays that people have to pay and deductibles like right now we're you know we just started a new year so a lot of people you know if you're on a high deductible plan are paying um, you know the the full rate you know that the insurance negotiated um, if you can find a therapist that accepts it uh, you know and and like my in my practice we, we try to accept insurance as much as we can um, and and I do that because you know I'm in a in a low income area and we try to accept, you know, we're, we're there to, to help people. Um, you know, it's, it's maybe not the best money-making model, but, but I think it, it helps people have access to a service um, that, that can be difficult, difficult to access sometimes. Um, there are some sliding, sliding fee um, providers that will do income-based things, and those are really great options as well. And, you know, now I'm thinking about it, I think that would be another um, great feature for the secular therapy if we if we include um, you know therapists that accept sliding fee uh, scales in the future. Thanks. Yeah, um, so I'm kind of bouncing. I'm kind of bouncing off of that. Um, so um, can um, therapists like um, practice across state boards? Um, I know there's like multi multi state licenses they can get and. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're going to do that, is um, connecting them online okay? Or do you find that person-to-person -person, um, therapy is better? Um, you know, we've, throughout the pandemic, we have gotten much better at, at telehealth. You know, we've, I think pre-pandemic, there were a lot of therapists that were really uncomfortable with it. Uh, a lot of therapists were just forced to become comfortable with it. Telehealth in many states is something <laughs> right. that, is, that is separately licensed. Um, and, um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of online and telehealth therapy, um, since the start of the pandemic myself. Um, so 
it is appropriate in some cases. Um, you know, in many cases, it has, I, as a matter of fact, I think it is appropriate to do telehealth and it can work really well. Um, not in all cases, you know, if you have somebody that is really going through severe depression, um, maybe are, are suicidal, um, where you need to have a little bit more access to the client, uh, sometimes it's best to have, have in-person sessions or at least have a therapist that um, is, is close by um, for, you know, that, that quick access. Um, the second party question, as far as, you know, practicing across state lines, yeah, the therapist does or does need to be licensed typically in the state um, that the client is located in. Um, but yeah, several therapists can be licensed or li therapists can be licensed in multiple states. Um, so that definitely is, is an option as well. Um, I, I see several comments in, in the chat here that you know, uh, yeah, and, and I like actually this one. It's great for people that that are anxious about getting out of the house. Um, you know, so as a way to access, you know, a therapist, it also provides access to for for clients that are maybe um, you know more more remote, just to have access to a therapist that maybe is secular. Um, and yeah, so so it it provides a lot of benefit potentially as well. Um, I'm licensed, for example, in, in Florida and Georgia currently. Um, should be licensed probably in Tennessee. I'm pretty close to that. But So you get to provide therapy to that Florida man? That yeah, I try to avoid it when I can. <laughs> Please tell him to get set straight. Or actually, I take it back. Don't work with him anymore because I'm enjoying the news too, way too much. <laughs> Florida man. So, uh, <laughs> they just can't have access to alligators if they didn't have access to alligators things would be fine <laughs> yeah yeah but folks are kind of talking about like you know their therapist going going on vacation um abroad and and so as long as it's really mo in most states it's about where the client is located um so the therapist can can in many cases be wherever the heck they want to be um as long as they're they're licensed in the state is where the where the client is located you know, one of the things, uh, the tropes that we uh, imagine when we're going, when we're thinking about a therapist or psychoanalyzing or something is we talk about our past. We talk about the, uh, our parents, our siblings, our family members, um, and, uh, you know, but we might have just gone into the therapy thinking like, hey, I just need to, I'm not happy with my job right now. Um, hmm. Do those kinds of uh do we have to bring up some of those past traumas or past uh, mm. those past feelings in order to really deal with what we're going through now? Is, is that what happens inside of these sessions? No, not necessarily. Um, you know, there's, there's different models of therapy. I mean, there, there's going to be some, some therapists that are, that are really solution focused, for example, um, that are, are really just focusing on, on a single, single problem in, Sometimes we're limited in time, so things like EAP, which is an employee um, assistance programs, you know, through work, you know, sometimes you have three sessions. It's not going to be a good model to, you know, really talk about a long history of trauma. Now, for for some for some work, that is going to be an appropriate way to 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 look at some issues, um, but it doesn't have to be that way. Absolutely, you know, and and you may not be ready to to work on specific issues and a, and a therapist is going to recognize it 
And you can tell, tell that to your therapist too, like, hey, I, I'm not ready to talk about that trauma. And you can have a, have a discussion about that with them. Can you also, like, I found, uh, I, as I was kind of working through uh, with the therapist recently that um, they didn't, they asked a few questions, but then they kind of went a, a route that they thought was best or what mm. they thought I wanted to talk about. And I didn't really want to talk about that. And mm -hmm. so I kind of switched things around and I was like, hey, um, the next session, I want to talk about my my concept of my body image. Next session, I really want to talk about mm. my relationship with my parents. Um, mm -hmm. is, is that okay to do to kind of just say, hey, knock it off. I, I, I want to talk about what I want to talk about. Before yeah. I work. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the thing I like is, um, you know, and, and I and I train students and and how to how to do some counseling skills and those kind of things and and you know sometimes uh, you know the the students are are also the clients in that case and so they have to act as the clients and, and they always ask you know what do I have to do as a client I was to tell them as a client you don't have any rules you can do whatever the heck you want right <laughs> uh, and you know if you know if, if you want if you want to tell the therapist that you know hey, i had you know I, I don't want to talk about that you know um screw off that that's fine now if the therapist sort of has some reason um on why that is important they should communicate that to you um you know i, I tell my clients is like hey none of this is, should be a mystery if you have a question about hey why are we talking about this that's mm. a fair question and and i should be able to give you an answer for that um, you know, every now and then I might have just sort of those curiosity things like, well, what happened there, you know, um, but I try to avoid that because that's really not what we're there for. We're not there for my curiosity or for my entertainment. Um, we're there. For, we are not pets for your amusement, Travis. Travis. Yeah, right. I mean, we are not here for your amusement. <laughs> that happens afterwards. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, no, I, you, you can ask, you can ask the therapist, you know, why are we talking about this? And, and they should be able to provide you with an answer um, that that should really be part of the treatment protocol, the treatment plan um, that you worked out. And if it's not working for you, you kind of say that, Hey, you know what, this isn't working for me. Um, you know, I, I, I think we need to go in this direction and you, and you work through that with your therapist. You can, you can identify maybe something that is more helpful. It. Helen? Mm, oh, yeah. Um, someone was um, asking in the chat, like, is it okay for like you to go in and like record a session that you have with your therapist? I would assume so for like review mm. later, or is that like, um, like for your own personal use, not to, like put out on like the interwebs or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> Ask your therapist. Um, I, I would, I would, you know, just kind of let them yeah. know, like, hey, I'd like to record this for my own review. Um, you know, and, and actually there's, there's some therapeutic techniques where, where we, we actually ask the client to record things for, for review. Um, so if you've ever done any kind of like prolonged exposure type of therapy, dealing with some trauma, um, that might be part of the protocol to actually record that and for you to re-listen to some things. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I, I think it is okay. Just have a conversation with your therapist uh, about it. Uh, let them know on why you want to do that. Um, but yeah, just, you know, get permission. I would say um, if, if they don't want to, um, you know, and you really want to talk, talk through it with the therapist, but there's no rule against it. 
I think, the I think just they're actually the therapist. This is probably a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the therapist uh, may ask you to, uh, to record a session. Um, you know, we do that for supervision purposes sometimes, you know, if, if uh, therapists are getting supervision or, you know, getting a case review. So, um, you know, your therapist may ask you and, and, you know, they shouldn't be recording you without your consent. So I think it's a nice um, kind of reciprocal thing that, hey, you know, I may, I may be recording you as well. So yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, uh, oh, I had, oh yeah, the, uh, there's a lot of initialisms um, around uh, the, the different therapists and they seem to change from um, one state or one country to the next, like uh, LMFT versus LPC versus, I don't know, um, F, FU big time or something like that. Uh, what, <laughs> there's just a lot of different letters. I mean, is that important to, to kind of understand before kind of getting in, in uh, uh, into a, a relationship with a therapist? No, relationship doesn't sound right. Um, I think it's fair to use to, to use a relationship, but um, it is good to know a little bit. And if you don't know, it's okay to ask your therapist. Um, you know, hey, you know, you're an LPC. What does that mean? You know, or you're an LMFT. So that's licensed professional counselor in my, in my state, um, and and that's a pretty common one. Um, but if you're seeing an LMFT, like you said, that's a marriage and family therapist. Um, that is going to change their, their, their approach, their perspective sometimes a little bit. So I asked them about that, how, you know, tell me about, you know, your profession, what are your professional values? Um, they do have slightly different codes of ethics. And those are things that you can, that you can look up as, as a client. Um, so yeah, and, uh, there are some, some distinctions, um, a lot of confusion still from folks, you know, between like psychiatrists and counselors and psychologists and marriage and family therapists and, you know, what do they all do and what's their differences? Ask questions. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, that, that's probably the biggest thing that I, that I can tell you is um, we ask questions if we're doing screening for the secular therapy project, we ask a lot of questions to the people that want to be listed on there. And, and you can do the same thing. So even with, with therapists that are part of the secular therapy project, ask them questions, but especially when they're outside of that, you know, what's your license? What does that mean if you don't know? Um, you know, are using an evidence-based practice? Well, are, do you know as a, as a client necessarily what all the evidence-based practices are? Um, yeah. Maybe not, you know, there are resources out there. Um, I think APA Division 12 has a, has a great list um, of, of evidence-based practices, you know, which, which one of these has been researched. Um, you know, most therapists are probably going to, you know, if you ask them, Hey, is this evidence-based or probably saying, you know, you know, right. Um, but you know, based on what research, so, you know, you can do a little bit of research and ask some questions of folks. Um, just, um, off the top of your head, I, uh, I know it's not at all going to be comprehensive, but what are some evidence-based treatments that uh, I could look for in, in somebody's, on somebody's website or interview, yeah. ask them about? Yeah, pro probably the most common one that you're going to see, um, you know, if you go, again, I, I'm going to mention just quickly that Division, uh, Division 12 APA, American Psychological Association um, website, if you, you can sort evidence-based practice either by the, by the 
the theory in itself or by a diagnosis. So you can kind of look up like, hey, for depression, what are the different treatment methodologies that have been shown to work for it? Probably the most common one that you're gonna see is cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, that was mentioned before as well. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy and some variations thereof. Um, so you might see things like REBT, rational motive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavioral therapy. Um, so, so those are just kind of a few things that, that are out there, but, um, but there's, there's quite a few different approaches that are, that are still being investigated. Um, and they, they produce that list, um, pretty nicely. They say, Hey, we're, we're still unsure about this one. This one has moderate research, um, support moderate is, is a pretty safe one. If, if the, the APA says it has moderate support for it, that's actually pretty decent, and then kind of the highest level is like strong research support for it. What would be, what could, what could possibly go wrong if a non-evidence-based treatment was used? Uh, oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> right. uh, and you have uh, two hours uh, to- You opened up a talk can of words. <laughs> Yeah, oh my God, you know, the, the list is long. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the one of the one of the first principles, obviously, is is that we we shouldn't be doing harm, you know, and and some of these treatment methodologies can can do do real harm, you know. Probably the 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 most the one that we hear a lot still, you know, unfortunately about in the news are things like you know these conversion therapies and stuff like that, um, you know, which which can do some real real psychological damage. Um, you know, some, some other treatment methodologies aren't necessarily, um, you know, there's, we have, we have treatment method methodologies like, um, EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization, rationalization that has a really strong CBT component to it. Um, and the eye movement component of that doesn't seem to be adding that much to it. It seems to be fine. It works for a lot of folks doesn't seem to be doing any like it doesn't do any damage from what from what we can tell but it doesn't seem to be adding that much to it um the research is still ongoing there's some controversy about it i don't i don't have necessarily a huge problem with it i i don't know you know probably wouldn't be my my treatment approach but uh electronic dance music revolution that that would be another version no that's not <laughs> that's not another one but um but yeah, no, we, we can do we can do some some real real damage uh, potentially um, sometimes just by it's not working. You know, you're spending a lot of time and money on something that that hasn't been shown to work. I'd be pretty pissed about that, uh, honestly. You know, we've we've seen some some folks kind of talking about how much they're paying for therapy, and if you you know if you're paying three hundred bucks an hour for something um, that that doesn't you know, work, you know, if, if I go to my car mechanic and he says, he's got to replace the jonculator, I probably want to know what the <laughs> heck that does, you know? I bet I think that's an important message though, that it is okay to dump your therapist. 
Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. think people are. Fra- I think people are afraid to because they're, yeah. you know, maybe after a few sessions they invested all this time and money, and mm-hmm. but they're not progressing, you know. But it's like it's okay, to, like to dump your therapist and find a new one, yeah. you know, if you're not getting the care you need. I think it's really hard sometimes when you like your therapist. Just because you like your therapist doesn't mean yeah. that they're a good therapist, you know. <laughs> Oh, that's so, a great distinction. Yeah, like I, I hear that all the time. I was like, oh, I had a really nice therapist. I really liked them. I could have been friends with them or something like that. Like, oh, I, I was kind of, I'm, I'm always kind of. <laughs> or they might be a good therapist, but not suited for you. <laughs> What's that? You know, I said it, but they or they can be a very good therapist, but they're just not suited for you for what you need. Sure. You know, know, it's, it's, it's like, it's like friendships, you know, like some people are really good for you and some people aren't. And, you know, you got to kind of decide like, you know, I have like NyQuil friends that I see only in small doses. And then I have (laughs) other friends that I form more of a close emotional bond with. (laughs) Just depends. (laughs) So this sounds like, uh, it's not something that just happens. It actually would take work on my part, the client, uh, to kind of know what's um, what's working for me and what isn't working for me. And then, um, you know, I'm not necessarily always the most forthright, but it also might sound like I'll need to kind of like say, hey, this isn't working, buddy. We either need to shift um, uh, tactics or I got to find another um, therapist. And you know, your, your therapist can be using tools to track if there's improvement that is happening. Um, you know, there there's specific scales and sometimes it may not feel like you're moving forward and you, you actually are. Um, you know, so there's, you know, if, if I have a client that's, that's uh, we're working on depression, you know, we'll do some depression scales and, and track that over time um, to see if there's improvement happening. And, and you, can, you can ask for those tools and kind of look at those tools together. Um, you know, if I have a client that says, gosh, I've been, you know, we've been working on this. It doesn't seem to be going any better. I'll pull out and say, look, look at your progress, you know? And so sometimes, you know, when we have small changes that happen over time, it feels like it's, it's not improving, but you know, it it may be. And and some folks improve really quickly and, and others of the process is a little bit slower for, but overall you should see improvement. Um, and you should recognize it. Maybe you kind of have to spend a little bit of time to kind of look at that. Um, you know, feel like, hey, where was I? You know, a couple of months ago, and how does how does things feel different for me now? Um, it 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 should you should be able to recognize some of those things. Maybe you need a little bit of help to you know sort through that. But um, but yeah, ask for those things. Awesome. Um, let's shift uh, back to the secular therapy project a little bit. Uh, how many, do you happen to know off the top of your head, how many therapists are available uh, through STP? Off the top of my head, uh, 577 therapists as of today. Uh, Can you be a little <laughs> more precise? <laughs> uh, we have also eight in progress. No. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> So this, yeah, is, so, this is 577 therapists uh, around the world that really doesn't seem yeah. like a whole lot. We need more. We need, absolutely need more. Um, you know, and, and those 577 therapists, what, it, what we're finding is that a lot of folks are pretty full right now. Um, you know, so 
you know, we, we do have folks that are reaching out and saying, Hey, you know, and then therapists are coming back and saying, I don't have room. And so we definitely need more therapists. And, and actually that's something that I wanted to, to point out. If, if you do this work, if you, if you've gone through the process of um, you vetting a therapist that, that fits for you and you've identified somebody that's non-religious or using evidence-based uh, practice, you know, if, if you've seen some progress, um, tell them You're like, Hey, do you know about this thing called the secular therapy project? Uh, you might be a good fit, you know, um, and we'll vet them too. Um, and they may not make it and then they'll be really mad, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> I will be a therapist throwing a temper tantrum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talking to his uh, therapist about it. I didn't get in. That's right. That's right. That's also good for business, right? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we, we we still need we we need more people. Um, you know, we still got folks from from different parts of the world that that you know email us. You know, I had I had a I had a woman from from Nigeria, email me and kind of say, hey, is there anybody in, in my country I really need a secular therapist? And so, yeah, we, we definitely need folks, um, you know, and I'd love to see this. Ultimately, I'd love to see this not be needed. Um, <laughs> yeah. Know, uh, it would be great if we could just trust that, you know, the therapists that we seek out are using evidence-based treatments and, um, you know, are... Are, are not imposing values um you know and, and and that's sort of a separate line of work that that we're engaging in um you know as counselor counselor educators really need to do that job of making sure that you know um folks that can't create that separation are, are not allowed in the field but we're still so it sounds on. like not everyone who applies gets in correct yeah yeah. What, what would be like a like x number of like 10 people apply how like what what, what is the, the acceptance rate or, or rejection rate um i'd i'd really how? be guessing um i'm i'm not the i'm not the the screener on on it but it seems like quite a few people do get rejected you know we we do have pretty high standards for sdp mm -hmm. therapists um you know, I, I'm maybe, maybe 40%, uh, okay. maybe higher, but, um, but quite a few get, get rejected. Um, and not, not to say that they're not nice folks or, um, but, but maybe we just didn't have enough evidence that they're using, you know, evidence-based approaches. Maybe we didn't, you know, maybe they were there, they were, you know, not part of religion, but they still had a lot of spiritual things going on and, you know, um, they're selling crystals on their website or something like that, then and they don't they don't make the cut. If I am reaching out, like I, I so as a um, as a client and going to the Secular Therapy Project, I create an account and I can search near me or within my state uh, in the U.S. and stuff, and mm -hmm. um, uh, look at the uh, and and if I reach out to like uh, a therapist and I don't hear anything back. Um, mm. is there, like I, you had mentioned that the, the therapists are so booked out right now. Is there a way mm. I can kind of communicate with the, the secular therapy project itself to let them know I haven't heard back or. Yeah. And we're, and we're working on, 
we're working on a on a process where um, therapists that aren't that aren't responding in a timely matter that they that they kind of get dropped for the search until they until they really become active again um, or sort of a way for them to indicate you know if if they're not currently taking um, clients um, but but yeah if you if you don't get a response within within a few days um, you know try to reach out to another therapist you can let us know. Um, you can reach out, you know, to, um, to the secular therapy project and kind of just let us know, Hey, I reached out to this therapist and I didn't get a response. Um, we can sometimes just follow up with that therapist and kind of say, Hey, are you getting your messages? There can be some technical issues, um, that are going on there, or, you know, they, they, they may just be full and not, not responding. And we, we try to eliminate that as much as we can. Um, we definitely want clients to have the experience that when they find a therapist on the SDP, at least that they get a response back um, and, and they, they can know what's, what the status is. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Uh, Helen, uh, you have any other questions? Uh, do I? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I had to think for a second. Nope. I'm okay. <laughs> Do you have any other questions, Eric? <laughs> <laughs> Dr. McKee, um, do you feel like there's anything that uh, we haven't talked about that you wanted to kind of cover? Yeah, I was just kind of looking at my notes. I, you know, I, you know, I, I've, I've done, I've done some research in this area, and and you know, and, and even looking at at the poll, um, you know, a lot, a lot of folks kind of talk about that. You know, they've they've had. Um, they've had therapists use uh, some religious activity, some prayer, or um, you know, suggesting you know that that they go to church. Those are common, really common things that I that I that I see and I, and I hear, and it and it really hurts me as a therapist when when I hear those stories because it just does such a disservice to to the profession and you know and and, and doing interviews with clients who've, who've not my my clients, but like when I was doing research. Um, in this area, it just does such damage to um, to the to the to the comfort and seeking help, and and that's that's just so sad to me. You know, when when we remove that, when we add a barrier, you know, to somebody seeking help, and you know, this is a tough thing. You know, people get rejected, you know, based on based on their secular beliefs in in so many areas, and it really just shouldn't be the case in in counseling and and i and i think any counselor um you know kind of worth their salt would agree with that um you know but there's rejection in, in work settings and family settings that we sometimes have to be really afraid of and and counseling just shouldn't be and can't be one of those areas um you know and that's that's probably the biggest thing that you know i i hope that folks even if you've had a if you had a tough experience um, or if you had a poor experience with the therapist, um, you know, let us let the secular therapy project help you or, you know, hopefully you'll you'll see some of these steps and, and feel comfortable in asking questions, um, you know, to to the to the person that's going to be doing um, work on you. You know, uh, I'm thinking back to that idea of, you know, a surgeon that doesn't have experience, you'd be like, nah, I don't think so. Um, ask some questions like, Hey, have you done this before? You know, are you comfortable in working on me? You know, those kind of things run away from, 
from folks that you know have the religious symbols on their on their on their website um you know that are you know displaying stuff in their in their waiting rooms and in their offices um those kind of things um i think other signs that you can look for um as you're as you're shopping for a therapist that's not on on the stp is yeah look out look at their websites um some of them will be super obvious be like i i work with christians or something like that and obviously that you you kind of know that they're not welcome uh that you may not be welcome there um sometimes you know if you're looking at where did they receive their education sometimes religious institutions not an automatic no-go i know a lot of we have we have a lot of therapists on on the on the STP um, that may have gone to their religious institutions and that was their way out of religion, um, where they're like, yeah, no, this is this is this is baloney, and you know they they learn something, um, you know, from that. So it's not a necessarily no, but I probably would ask some extra questions in that case. Um, yeah, Liberty, Liberty University, right? Uh, so yes. Uh, I, I think we may even have a therapist from that went to a Liberty University. Obviously, we're going to do some extra screening on them, right? Uh, we're there. They got they got some splaining to do at that point. Uh, yeah, but but deconversion can happen even there. So, very good point, uh, Doctor McKee. Thank you so much for coming on and having this discussion with us. I really really appreciated it. Um, yeah. Honestly, I feel uh, I feel a little more empowered um, when I do. Even though I, I have I'm I am kind of searching for a therapist now, uh, I feel much more empowered um, in order to go uh, forward and, and understand uh, my own role in this as well. Um, awesome. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Helen, you got anything uh, you wanted to add? Yeah, I, like, again, like, this is a really good talk, because I think a lot of people don't know the tools to finding a good therapist and how to go about the process and stuff like that. So this was a really good talk and like, you know, getting the tools that you need and what kind of questions you need to ask and what to look for. So thank you. This was this is really, really informative. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Recovering from Religion is a nonprofit organization whose mission it is to provide hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. Hope, Healing, and Support is waiting for you on our website, recoveringfromreligion.org. There, you can speak or chat with a trained agent who will work with you through your struggles and doubts or to help find resources that may work for you. You can also find local Recovering From Religion support groups in your area for the long-term recovery work. Resources specifically curated for those struggling with doubts, disbelief, and trauma can also be found on the RFR website. To connect with a secular therapist in your area, go to seculartherapy.org and create an account. If you'd like to support the work that RFR does, you can donate or sign up as a volunteer on the Recovering from Religion website. It's also a big help subscribing to the RFR YouTube channel, our blog, or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be emailed to us at rfrx at recoveringfromreligion.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll be with us next time on the Recovering From Religion podcast.